We believe something about God's Word in this church, and that is, is if we will read it, the Holy Spirit will be pleased to present to us Jesus Christ again. He will come to us through this Word. So let's stand together. If, if you don't happen to have one of these reading sheets, you didn't know to get one when you came in, will you be so kind as to raise your hand? One of our members is going to give you their sheet so that we can do this all together. You didn't know to get a sheet. Anyone? Okay, all together. You listen with your heart even as you are saying these truths to your neighbors as we read aloud. But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while." I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong, in everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Thank you. Be seated. If you have ever been in a broken relationship, you know this feeling. Something happens, an argument, a misunderstanding, and then a cold front moves in. You don't talk anymore. You avoid each other, your, even your eyes. There's just silence and distance and hurt feelings. Sometimes that's true, even in church. And then, please God, something happens. An apology a common crisis that brings us back together, honest words, humble hearts, and your friends again. The relief is intense. It is indescribable having had a broken relationship and all of a sudden it's healed. We trust each other again. We love each other. We're friends again. In this chapter, verse 7, Paul says, My joy was greater than ever before. I felt more joy... After we had fought, after this disagreement ever before, it was intense and real. The past months have been hard for Paul with the Corinthian church. Two years before, Paul came as the missionary pastor to preach the gospel in that Roman city. The people believed, many of them. The Spirit filled the congregation with gifts. There was energy, there was hope, there was joy. It was a remarkable congregation in almost every category. And then Paul left. He had other missionary tasks to do, promised to come again, and he never did or didn't, hadn't at the time of this writing, and things began to unravel. You've been there before. 
People get critical of their leader. They are critical of Paul. Even others who don't necessarily agree with the criticism don't feel the energy to defend him. And then there is an immoral issue that comes up, and then there's moments of disunity and division in the church. It got so bad that Paul had to write a harsh letter correcting them. And after he sent it, he agonized. I wondered with tears, have I said too much? Did I push too hard? Was I right to challenge them in that way? And then a miracle happened. The sweetest of all miracles from the human experience, similar to the resurrection, something that was dead is alive again. One day in Corinth, a man, and I don't know his name, and I, this is really just speculation on my part, but it had to have happened. A man says in a business conference, you know, I think Paul's right. I don't think this is his fault. I don't think Paul has been bad to us. I think we've been bad to him. I think we've been petty and childish, and we've entertained criticism of him. The truth is that man has given his life for us, and we owed him a lot more than we have given him. The longer he talked, the more heads began to nod in agreement, at least the majority. There were tears, people wiping tears. There were people with their heads down. By the time Titus got there, there had been a significant groundswell, in the majority at least, toward restoration. They, they wanted that chapter back. They wanted to be back unified as a church and in good relationship with their pastor. That moment is what Jesus calls repentance. You will remember our Lord when he preached, he would always say repent and believe. It's two things. You can't have the new thing if you don't change your loyalty to the old thing. The word means change your mind, change what you think, and change what you decide as a function of what you think. Albert Einstein used to say, uh, by the way, he's a small genius compared to Jesus, but he, he said, you cannot solve a problem with the same thinking that created it. You've got to think different about a problem or you're going to just keep doing what you're doing. Now, you and I know that at, this happens at conversion. At conversion, when you first come to Jesus Christ, you admit that there is a God and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him that God can't be on the outskirts of your life anymore, that he has to be Lord. Uh, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will have that miracle happen in your life. But repentance happens along and along the Christian life. It's not just at conversion. It is a regular process for us. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge. And so every person in here, wherever you are spiritually, you came in today and part of God's plan for you is the next step of your growth in holiness, your growth in service, your growth in love for him, your growth in kindness. There isn't anybody in here who's got a past, not one. Every one of us, that's his purpose, is a continuing repentance. You're rocking along, and you gradually and mercifully become aware that you have been selfish in marriage. You have not or imperfectly or impartially kept the promise you made the day you got married. You need to change. You need to change. 
or the Spirit speaks to you that you've been critical and negative toward your pastor, you've got to change. Or you, he says you have been ungenerous with your time. You've been dishonest with your inner life. You have claimed for yourself what is not really true. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, and that is your inner life testifies against that. By the grace of God, you realize this is me now. Uh, I can't blame this on anybody else. I need to change. It's me who needs to make this step today. Luke 5, Jesus used to say, the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner repents. That's how Jesus imagined. And most of us think that what that means is a, a, at conversion. And I think for sure it, it is that. But I, I don't think that's the scope of the word. I think that heaven still rejoices. One person in here, you reach that point and you say, okay, no more. I've got to change. I've got to look at this for what it is. I've got to tell myself the truth, tell God the truth. I've got to get forward and do what he's asking me to do. I think the angels high-five each other. I think they say, are you kidding me? There's one. There's one. That's the way the human race becomes what God wanted us to be. It is through repentance. Um, this is your door. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. Are you willing if you're not careful, religion will operate the opposite way. Rather than drawing you to repentance again and again, it will all be your excuse. I'm as good as the next guy. I go to church. I have a quiet time. I received Jesus when I was little. That's not the question here this morning. The question is, is do you have the courage to see what is next for you and that you will keep keeping that promise of following the Lord as he presses you forward in sanctification and in obedience? If you're willing, 2 Corinthians will help you. Face the issue. That's what the Spirit will whisper to your heart this morning. Sometimes it takes an outside voice to really give you a true perspective. It wasn't until Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, that that tender heart collapsed in repentance and regret. He said, You're right. Sometimes it's a friend, sometimes it's a pastor, like Paul with the Corinthians, but it's only best when it's the Word of God, as we read earlier in this service. Only the Scripture can pierce the, whole, the soul and all of its defense mechanisms to see what you've been really like. I know, I know all your excuses, and I use them too. I know, I know all the times that you say, well, he hit me first, or I was entitled to that. But the truth is only the Word of God can cut between your intentions and your motivations and help you see who you are and really how you've been part of this generalized rebellion of the human race up against God's law. John 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. It is only against the word of God that we get an accurate picture of what will judgment day will be like. That true and unbending standard up against which we will all be held accountable so every believer resolves to find a Bible-teaching church to come honestly week after week for that bath of God's Word. Want to change? You will need to confront the issue. You will need to call it what God calls it, and you can only do that by the help of His Word and His Spirit. Willing to change? 
you need to feel the pain. Own it for a second. 2 Corinthians 7, Paul is references throughout this text sorrow or godly sorrow. Look this way. It's, it's the Greek word lupeo, which we use in English for the disease lupus, which is a disease that's just characterized by generalized and debilitating pain. Um, so Paul says part of the process of this getting into your heart is to allow the pain of it. That you, you see for a moment really what part of the rebellion you have been. You see the damage that you have done, the ways that you've harmed others and yourself and the Lord himself by your own sin. It's what Catholic theologians call penance or penitence. And while it's not necessary, I've seen people repent only in the head. They just realize I'm through with that. It doesn't need to happen anymore. I'm going to get forward. It is very often a, a healing part of the process just to weep this thing out. Peter, when he realized what a fraud he had been and he de denied the Lord, the Bible says he went out and he wept and he wept and he wept. Hannah, when her breakthrough prayer that gave her her first son Samuel was accompanied by tears, she was so broken that Eli thought she was drunk. It's painful to let yourself feel the grief here. It's painful to say it's not this nation that dr drifted, it's us. It's not my family, it's me. It, it, it's hard. And the Second Corinthians, Paul says, I, I was so, I regretted it. And then I didn't regret it because the sorrow did the same, what it was supposed to do. It broke you. Churches like ours used to have mourner's benches where people just psychologically could come and weep out their sorrow, just the wasted years, the ugly words, the immoral dreams. It's like Isaiah who stood and saw the Lord high in the and he said, I am a man of unclean lips. I have been talking about trash my whole life. I, there's nothing that I've talked about that had any value. Want to get better? When you see the word, do it. Do it. Mary told the slaves at the wedding of Cana, just do what he says. And I'm not trying to be over simple here, but you can trust the Holy Spirit to guide your sanctification process. You can trust him to guide your justification. He will come to you and say, this is the step you need to take, and I want you to take it today. And your faith will be in your feet as you do exactly what he says. Verse 11, Paul describes what happened in Corinth after that man stood up and talked. After someone took the courage to say, I think we've treated him wrong, they took hard, public, courageous actions. Paul said, wow, the vindication that happened on you set things in place, the indignation, you felt angry that the devil had gotten a hold of you and used you the way he did. You felt fear that you've waited too long, that you've wasted this time. You longing for Paul. Somebody said, I just, I wish I could just have one more talk with him. I wish I could tell him how sorry I am. I, the zeal, the urgent action. The Bible says this, and I'm going to say it to you with love, be doers of the word. Don't you fool, be fooled by the enemy. He says it's just what you, you just have to assent to this in your head. That is not true. Go make the apology. Go do it. 
Uh, go get an accountability partner. Go confess to somebody. Have them pray for you. Go weep out those sins that have tripped you so long. Name it. Call it out to the Lord. Don't you sit there and just think that hearing in your head will be enough. And then enjoy the result. That's the fourth lesson. That's exactly what happened to Paul and his friends. They were soon back together and they were stronger than ever. They were more joyful than they'd ever been. Christianity is no religion of morbid introspection and sadness. Our goal, our incentive, is your joy. Uh, if the first steps are uncomfortable, it is because they lead you finally to the deepest peace that a human heart can have. You have, to the best of your ability, perceived what God wanted you to do, and you did that. And the comfort is enormous. It is swelling into the heart. The end result is peace and joy. In verse 8, Paul uses the word regret. It's interesting in Greek. It's similar to repentance, but this is metamelomai, to care again. Not to think again, but to care again. The only time you have to care about something again is when you didn't fix it right the first time. You accepted some band-aid solution to something that was deeper than that. And so the truth is you walked a little while and it came up again. You, you did not know what it was for the Lord to put his hand right on the cancer and say, this needs to be gone. This needs to be gone. One of the great griefs of our life are the things that come back again and again because they weren't fixed. Regret is good if it will lead you to repentance. If anybody in this room will finally say, I'm ready, I'm ready. I will do life on your terms. I will do what you're asking me to do. Then the sorrow, the regret that you've experienced has done a good thing for you. It's bad if it just makes you sad. That's the sorrow that's according to the world. It just leads you to death. You'll just feel like a scum. You'll feel like a failure, but you will never take the step that he was asking you to take. There's a great story in Jeremiah 18. Um, Jeremiah the prophet has uh, gone to the potter's house, and he, as he watches the potter working with that clay, uh, he, uh, the potter feels a flaw in the clay, and he, he works hard to see if he can work around it and make it still work what it's supposed to be, and he presses on it and shapes it, and then finally gets to a place where he realizes it's not ever going to be what it's supposed to be. So in Jeremiah's astonishment, he crushes that whole thing, all the progress that's been made, he crushes it, takes the lump, throws it away, and starts over. And the Bible says, does God have the right to do that same thing with you? God who made you, does he have the right to apply even painful, what seems like discontinuous and costly struggle? Does he have the right to bring up something that has been hurting you your whole life and now in his grace needs to be fixed? The clay has no right to protest and neither do we. The strong hands of the Spirit will be on your heart this morning according to his great love. He will come after you. Let us praise his name. All sin is primarily against him, and it's not against somebody else. It's, the offense is really his, and so it is his great love that would come after you this morning, and you will feel his finger put 
right there where it hurts, right there where the cancer is, right where the illness is. And the goal is your joy. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to help you. And, but it requires repentance, which can be a little bit painful. So as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, let's pray together. It's astounding to me that this is a choice that you give me. Why would you give me such a power to either open the door as I hear you knocking or leave it locked? Uh, why you would give me that power or why you would love me the patient way that you have again and again and again you have come to me and called me into holiness Teach me again this lesson that it is in repentance and faith that I will be saved. It is in casting aside those self-described freedoms and taking upon my neck your yoke that I will find out who I really am. Come, Holy Spirit, help us and guide us. It is your holiness that we desire, your friendship. Oh, more than anything in the world, it is you we desire.